Most people have heard of the 12 Steps. They were first published in 1939 in what is known as the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. AA describes alcoholism as an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. The 12 Steps mention alcohol once and God four times. They promise a spiritual awakening as a result of working the steps. I'm Ruth Gledhill, and in this edition of Things Unseen, we'll be looking at the spiritual dimension of the 12-step programme and asking whether it's possible to recover from alcoholism and other addictions without God. To discuss this with me in the studio today is Wendy Dossett, a senior lecturer in religious studies at the University of Chester, who has spent two and a half years on the Higher Power Project. She is researching the 12-step programme's idea of a higher power in the context of contemporary spirituality. She's joined by Father John, a retired Catholic priest who has mentored hundreds of recovering alcoholics and run spiritual retreats for them. Also with us is Gary Smith, a former university lecturer who was sacked because of his alcoholism and has now been sober for over three years. He doesn't believe in God and has written a guide to the 12 steps designed to help atheists and agnostics. Father John and Gary are not their real names. Gary, you got sober three and a half years ago. How did you feel when you first encountered the 12 steps with all that God stuff? The God stuff did trouble me quite a lot initially. For one thing, I come from a very atheist background. I went to a secular school. As an academic, I worked mostly in the sciences, and I'm quite unused to being surrounded by people, many of whom assumed that God exists. So it just felt rather strange being uh, in such company. The other thing is that one has to put a lot of effort into the program for it to work, and I was very concerned about whether it would work for me, given that I didn't believe in God. And though I was quite willing to try to, I never thought that actually I would ever come to believe in God. But Alcoholics Anonymous did play an important role in helping you to stop drinking. Oh, absolutely. I did do the 12 steps, and they worked for me very well indeed. Wendy, what made you decide to study the higher power and its place in the 12-step programme? 12-step spirituality is actually a key feature of contemporary spirituality, but it's very rarely talked about. It's very rarely referenced in any surveys of contemporary spirituality, very rarely mentioned in the media. And yet, if you take statistics for membership of AA alone, and AA is only one of the 12-step mutual aid fellowships, 40 to 45,000 people practicing this particular form of spirituality that people just aren't aware of. Father John, you've led retreats for recovering alcoholics. As a priest, you've seen the lives of many people transformed by the 12-step programme, and it's also transformed your own. Yes, I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous 47 years ago, and it was something that I really had to grab at because my life was in just total mess. And I knew it was in total mess. I think that people around me in my parish work, for instance, didn't spot it, thank God. But I had no option, really. And I grabbed the programme of AA wholeheartedly 
I was led through the 12 steps through a wonderful man who was a master mariner out in the Far East, and he was on leave. And he really took me over, and we talked together. We talk about ships. We talk about seas. We talked about drink. And he showed me what drink had done for him and what drink had, in fact, deprived him of. And I identified very clearly with what he was saying. And so I immediately began to take on board the whole spirituality of AA. It wasn't a recovery based on just giving up. It was adopting a completely new way of looking at things and a completely new way of understanding the experiences which other alcoholics had gone through and which I was now going through. Do you think your recovery would have been possible at all without God in the programme? I think I actually had to have God in the programme, not quite simply because I'm a priest, but because the kind of power I needed, the kind of outlooks that I needed to adopt... I was seeing them working in other people's lives and I realised that this is how my life had to be working as from now. Gary, in its early days, AA was strongly influenced by evangelical Christianity. As an atheist, did that put you off going into the programme? It did initially, but I found that going to meetings in London where I live, that really wasn't much of an issue. In London, AA is very secular and there's no general expectation that one has to believe in God. So once you were in there, how did you come to understand the higher power? That was something I gave a lot of thought to. I was keen to work the 12 steps of AA as thoroughly as I possibly could and with some enthusiasm. And as I think you mentioned, the word God does appear in those steps. So, for example, step three says, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. That's a big thing, turn your will and your life over to something, and I didn't believe in God. So the question is, what could God, as we understood him, be for me? Initially, I chose some specific people to be my higher power. So I was in rehab at the time, so I chose my therapist, my psychiatrist, but also my brother and some friends who are outside the fellowship, and I had a sponsor. And basically, I turned all my major decision-making over to them. My own head was a mess, particularly in relation to alcohol and other bad habits. But in general, I was not able to think properly about anything. So I decided not to and to turn those decisions over to other people. My conception of my higher power evolved gradually in the last three years. Now, basically, I just take it to be the universe, whatever's out there, nature, and for me, turning my will and my life over to God as we understood him means do the right thing and leave the rest up to nature. Wendy, I've heard of people talking about the number 67 bus as the higher power or of God is dog spelt backwards and that kind of thing. As part of your research, you've talked to dozens of volunteers who are in recovery. What different understandings of the higher power do they tell you about? Well, they're extremely diverse and we've just had two accounts that are very different from each other and yet these two people practice their recovery side by side in the same fellowship. So the 12-step fellowships are really kind of spiritual workshops where people work out their own concept of a higher power. 
certainly there are people in 12-step fellowships who have theologically recognisable beliefs in the God of the Bible, the creator God of the universe. But only about 20% of the people that we've spoken to identify as formally religious. Other people describe themselves as spiritual rather than religious. And there are all kinds of ideas of higher power from the spirit of the universe. The power of love is a very common description of a higher power. People will say anything so long as it's not me. It was my own thinking that that got me into the state that I got into. So I have to look elsewhere. I have to look outside of myself. People in recovery talk about having tried to use their own willpower for years and years to try to to stop using the substance that's been causing them so much damage. And what they find when they come into a 12-step fellowship is the kind of recommendation to surrender. It's not about willpower. It's about some other power. For some people, that might be the power of a higher self, the best version of themselves. It needn't be anything metaphysical. Now, I've heard people say that the only thing you need to know about the higher power is that you're not it. And I've also heard people say they looked everywhere for God and that's where they found him. Now, Father John, you're a professional religious man. So if anyone would have come into the programme with a kind of professional understanding of God or the higher power, we'd have thought it would be you. So how is it that that didn't work for you? How is it that you couldn't get sober without AA, given that you're a professional God-man? I think to answer that question, I have to go right back to the very first taking of a drink at the age of 16. I came from a totally non-drinking family, and I realised that, in fact, what drink did for me was not it didn't get me drunk in the usual understanding of the word. What it did for me was it raised me to another level of living. What alcohol did for me was, in fact, to be a sort of um, hovercraft, really. I was rising above life in its rather boring way. This was what alcohol did for me, and that's what I was going to let it do for me. And that meant that alcohol actually became a higher power in my life. And so when I actually later came to this terrific rock bottom, I was given a completely new power in life. He happens to be called by me and mighty God or Christ or whatever, but actually with a new kind of fuel for life. That's what I think I would describe my higher power as. He is, in fact, the fuel of my life. I can identify with a lot of that. Certainly, I think that alcohol was my higher power for a very long time. Um, And before that, when I was quite young, drugs. I had a very deep sort of love for it, and it came to dominate my life totally. I put it before anything else. It was my constant companion. I used it mainly to escape from my own feelings and to escape from reality, to run away from things. So now I find it quite natural, actually, to have the universe, the world, as my higher power because I was using alcohol, my relationship to alcohol, instead of relating to the real world as it really is, accepting my own feelings as they really are and opening myself up. People in AA sometimes talk about having had a God-shaped hole which is then filled 
when they find the higher power in AA. I think I just had a kind of world-shaped hole because I wasn't in myself relating to the universe, the world around me as it really was. And now I'm open to the universe. So, Wendy, we're talking a lot about God here and the higher power and the God-shaped hole. People who go into recovery often say they have inside them. But what about the people who go into recovery who are completely antithetical to the idea of God? There are many people within the fellowships who are atheist. The vast majority of fellowship members don't affiliate. Um, They may not strongly say that they're atheist. So the idea of religion is troublesome to many of them, as Gary's explained. AA has got a particular history and it emerged during the Great Depression in America through the experiences of two alcoholics, one of whom had had a spectacular religious experience and the other was a pious member of the Oxford group, a kind of prosperity gospel style of Christianity at the time. But very quickly, AA decided that not everybody would have an experience of God in the traditional theological sense. So the steps are very clear. It's God as we understand God. What I find when I speak to the participants in the study, they talk about kind of a personal journey with some of those concepts. So they interrogate them. They take what works for them. They react against some of the language. You know, many of the women and men in the fellowship find the patriarchal language of the fellowships difficult. But people tend to read these these kind of authoritative texts with a filter and they come to their own understandings of them. And the 12-step fellowships do provide an environment where people can do that work, as has been evidenced here in this discussion. Father John, do you think that the 12-step programme would even be workable without the spiritual dimension? The 12 steps have a foundation, a foundation which is, in fact, solid and which, in fact, looks for our adaption of it in a very solid kind of way so that, in fact, it's not the kind of spirituality that many people would understand by that word. It's something very practical and something which is very reliable in that sense. And it's meant to be something which, in its practicality, can be shared. Gary, that's really interesting. And despite your own atheist outlook, would you say your experience of AA in working out practically the help of the steps has been a spiritual one? Yes, I would, given the way in which I myself use the word spiritual. In the big book, which you mentioned, Bill Wilson writes that selfishness, self-centeredness, that is the root of our troubles. And when you do the steps, at the end of the steps, as you mentioned, you're supposed to have a spiritual awakening. And a byproduct of the process of doing the steps and having this awakening is you get relieved of your obsession to drink. So I think of spirituality as whatever it is that you get from doing the steps, which relieves you of that obsession to drink. And that's the opposite of selfishness. So when you stop being self-willed, self-seeking, self-absorbed, start listening to other people, looking at the world around you, not thinking about yourself, not pursuing your own ends and all that, then you get better, you stop wanting to drink. So in that sense, yes, I I think of myself as a spiritual person following a spiritual program as well as I can. Wendy, did you find that echoed by your volunteers in recovery? 
I do very much. I mean, it's tempting to think of spirituality as having to do with things metaphysical or theological, but very often when my participants talk about spirituality, they talk about action. They talk about doing service. One of my participants said that the key to his spirituality was helping another drunk. It's very much about being part of a community, giving back to that community, being active within that community. Father John, in your many years of service within the fellowship, you must have come across many people who were put off by the spiritual aspect of the programme when they joined. How do you counter that? When I was first asked to run a retreat for AA members, I realised that what I had to do was also to change language to change language and particularly to change, quite often, the language of the established religions. Were you ever subjected to a temptation to proselytise? I'm not quite sure what you mean by that, because it, it doesn't really, it's not really part of my thinking. No, I don't go in for, for that nasty word there, no. <laughs> Gary, have you ever felt under pressure to embrace Christianity or any religion at a meeting? Well... I've attended large numbers of meetings in London over the last four years, and I would say possibly only two or three times in a very mild way. But I've been involved in a great deal of Alcoholics Anonymous recovery activity on the internet, and there I've been subjected to enormous pressure, yes. I've also been told to leave AA on the grounds of my atheism, and I was suffering from intellectual pride. Either I wouldn't recover, or if I did recover without God, then I could not, by definition, be a genuine alcoholic and so should not be part of AA and should join something else like Smart Recovery. Because it does say in the book that, uh, as I think you mentioned, it's a spiritual illness for which there can only be a spiritual solution. So if I recovered without believing in God, according to this theory, I couldn't be an alcoholic and therefore could not be a member. So I have been told all those things, but none of them in southern England. Now, the 12-step programme talks about moral inventories, about failings, about defects of character, making amends, about ego deflation at depth. Gary, was it hard for you to accept you were an alcoholic? And do you see alcoholism as an illness? It was very hard for me to accept that I was an alcoholic. I was in denial for decades, I would say, and I had hit a rather nasty rock bottom before I finally realised that it was true. Yes, I, I do believe it's an illness, I mean, according to AA, it has quite a sophisticated conception of what the illness is. It's got three parts. One part is called the physical allergy, which roughly means that when an alcoholic has a drink, they want to drink more, and they carry on in an uncontrolled fashion, typically. And then there's a component called a mental obsession, which means roughly that they want to drink all the time, and also that they keep kidding themselves that somehow this time it's going to be okay to have a drink and nothing will go wrong. And then there's the spiritual malady, which is the spiritual component. Now, we are abstinent in AO, that's the idea. We recognize that that part of the illness, the physical or the brain part, stays. That's why we don't drink, because then we get cravings and drink more. And the 12-step program addresses this spiritual malady, which, as you say, is all about defects. But defects are things like being angry, being jealous, being greedy, which makes you want things. And all of these are things that cause you to get stressed out and unhappy, and that's what sets off the, the desire to drink. Wendy, in your research project, 
you're talking to volunteers over a number of years. What happens if one of them drinks again, or as AA calls it, has a slip? Is that a failure of faith on their part? Addiction, alcoholism is described by the 12 steps as an illness where relapse is a feature. It's a very common thing. It isn't a failing because it's an illness. And Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous simply welcome the person back who wants to, to try again at having a go at abstinence. So sometimes people in fellowships will say that maybe the person hadn't reached their rock bottom the people that we've interviewed will often say that what they describe as their defects of character that they're looking to work on in step six and seven are actually still with them, even in recovery. And it's a process. It's not a done deal. Father John, it's nearly half a century now since you had your last drink. Do you remember your rock bottom? And do you remember if you felt that God was there for you at the time? Oh, I remember completely my rock bottom First of all, it brought for me this tremendous experience of what my life had suddenly become. And that was a life which, in fact, I could not live. That had to go. And I went immediately to someone whom I knew to be a member of AA and said, I want your help. And he said... What I want you to do is quite simply say to yourself, I'm not going to have one drink this one day. And that was the beginning of so-called recovery. Interestingly, I had many people who knew me and who recognised change happening in me. And that change still goes on. Gary, does it work for you too in giving you a better sense of yourself and your place in the world? 100%. I think that's what it's all about. It's a constant process where I work at my defects, as it were, which is becoming less angry, less self-centred, less greedy type of person and finding better things to do with myself, which is not just helping other people, but, yeah, finding a good place in the universe. So the more I work on a programme, the greater sense of self I have, somewhat ironically, since the idea is to lose a sense of self. But it's a process of fitting myself into the universe around me, becoming an appropriate part of it. Wendy, some people listening might be quite surprised at how practical we've heard the spiritual programme, in fact, is. Do you see many practical benefits in the lives of your volunteers from following the programme and developing a concept of a higher power? Some of our participants talk about following the programme being a, a bridge to normal living. That's a phrase that comes up quite a lot. Very often people who've had a rock bottom in alcoholism or drug addiction have lost families, jobs, homes, possessions, self-esteem. Those things come back in recovery and people become productive members of their communities again. They don't just give back to the fellowship that helped them, but their lives enlarge and expand in many other ways. And there's a great deal of gratitude in the accounts of the people that we've spoken to for that change that has occurred for them, not just for them, for their families, for their communities, for the people at large who they're involved with. Gary, how do you stand up and say at the end of the meeting, God grant me the serenity? 
which is what people hold hands and at the end of every meeting that's what they say, isn't it? I very rarely do. When somebody else is leading the Shrenti prayer, I leave out the word God and I just <laughs> start with the rest of it. When I myself am leading the prayer, I just say using the word God however you wish. Father John, in America, many meetings in fact end with the Lord's Prayer. But here in this country, they tend to end with the Serenity Prayer. Do you prefer the Serenity Prayer yourself? Yes, I prefer that, yes. The way that it spells out what is the meaning of our fellowship. For listeners who don't know, could you possibly recite the Serenity Prayer for us? Yes, indeed. And I think the two of us should say it together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. Thanks to my guests, Father John, Gary Smith and Wendy Dossett. If you're in Britain and need help with a drinking problem, you can phone the National Helpline of Alcoholics Anonymous on 0845 769 7555. My name is Ruth Gledhill, and you've been listening to Things Unseen, the programme that serves those who think there may be a spiritual dimension to life. Things Unseen is a CTVC production. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.